The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who've been successful because they found that point in their lives to give themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and their businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And today, our guest is Ross Marino. Hey, Ross. Hey, how are you doing today, Doug? I'm really good. So you have a lot of titles. You're a financial planner, you're a transitional planner, and you're also the owner of Advisor 2X, which we'll get into. That's a lot of stuff. Well, it keeps me busy. I think it's just proof that uh, they haven't found a cure for ADD yet. <laughs> I like to talk about what people are seeing happening in the industry as a start to this podcast, and you have a great, great experience in being advisor and teaching advisors. And, you know, when we were talking about um, the podcast before we came on live, one of the big things you see advisors changing is the reversal of traditional planning in the relationship of advisors. So let's, let's get into that. Sure. I think that for many years, and this is at least my experience, people would approach us or call us because they needed help with money. It was either investments or a portfolio, but there was some type of financial decision that said, I need to talk to a financial advisor. I need to engage a financial planner. And it really was portfolio driven. Now, 30 years ago, back when I was young and doing this business, that was great. We did portfolio management. It was fantastic. But we, of course, quickly learned that that's not enough. You really have to do the planning aspect. So we would start a relationship with portfolio management but then try to move them into financial planning because that's really where you can help the people and go more towards the future and understand what risks are in their life. So we start with portfolio management. We move to financial planning. And then over time, after we've had multiple appointments or phone calls with the client, if they're married with the, the wife and the husband and we got to know them, we really get to understand who they are as people and what matters to them and understand their values and why they want to do certain things, why their financial goals matter to them. And that's what we've seen this industry as it matures go into. It started with the portfolios and the investments. It moved to financial planning where that seems to be commonplace saying you're a certified financial planner isn't a unique value proposition anymore. And I think that's great. I hope we have more and more CFPs as time goes on. But now we're seeing a lot of this movement towards understanding the person and the client and how to help them make decisions. I think behavioral finance, of course, was the start of this where it became popular, but we're going so much deeper now. And I think the trend that we're seeing that, that I love, it's, it's about time. The trend is, is when someone comes to us they may be coming because they have portfolio questions or they want someone to talk about their portfolio, but we're going to start with the person. We're going to get to know them and who they are and understand what makes them tick. And yes, they may want to talk about their investments, but I can tell you when we have our first meeting, we're not pulling out charts. 
We're not going to dive deep into portfolios. If you really want to talk about those types of things, we have to get to know who you are as a person, then go through the financial planning process, and then we'll know which portfolios or types of investments we can recommend and we think are appropriate. That's not how it was 20, 30 years ago, but I'm seeing that reversal now in so many different areas where there's an emphasis on understanding the person, what really drives them, what makes them tick, and really requiring them to go through the financial planning process before we recommend portfolios. And what's the reaction to clients as you back them up from getting into what they want to get into to understanding them as people? You would think that the financial needs of what do I do with this money, what do I do with these investments, may motivate them to say, let's address this because this is on my mind, and you would see some resistance. But that's not really the case. When you start asking people questions to understand them, to know what makes them tick and how they feel about things and what's their money story, how did you grow up, what are your memories of money, they answer the questions. I have yet to run into somebody that says, you know, I just want to talk about this portfolio. Um, I I don't run into those people. Uh, years ago, I may have, but in this day and age, when you start asking people deeper questions, they're ready to talk about it. So I think from the client standpoint, they're receptive because they know intuitively it's got to be about more than just money or basis points or fees. There's more to this. The money is there to support whatever their life is. So we've seen reception for it, and the more you do it and the better you get at it, the more people are going to respond positively. Is this a way that advisors are helping grow their business? And are there other ways that they're looking at growing their business that is changing as well? I think this is the biggest movement that I've seen as far as advisors trying to really connect with their clients on the personal level. There are other ways to grow the business out there, and I think that's great. And in some ways, people will address estate planning needs. Maybe they'll address tax needs, and they do seminars, and they reach out to people that way, and they they may lead with something technical and then go towards personal. There's plenty of ways to build the business, and and I'm not going to say one way is better than the other. Uh, Maybe 20 years ago, I may have, but in this day and age, you build the type of business you want, and you learn how to take care of your clients. And you're going to find a good fit business out there. So it's a really dynamic industry, and I think that's wonderful. However, I think the advisors and the firms who put the emphasis on understanding the person and engaging in deep conversations, they're the ones who are going to grow their business, develop the deepest relationships 5, 10, 15 years from now. I think they've got the best practices that are the most successful, that may sell for the highest multiple, and provide the most satisfaction to them and their clients. One of the things that we, we were talking about before we got live was output goals versus operational goals, which I thought was really interesting. Can you, can you frame that for us and talk about it? Sure. I remember sitting in a, in a coaching like, seminar. It was a two-day event, and we were going over practice management and business planning and goal planning. And it was, I had a small practice back then, and I'll just define small practice as I lived quarter to quarter. So uh, if you're an advisor, you remember those days. If you got through the quarter, it was a good quarter. And I was just building a practice. And there was all of this emphasis uh, in in this environment on 
what's your 12 month revenue goal and what's your five year goal and what's your, your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. And there was all this talk about revenue. And, and as I was filling out some of the forms and thinking through it, I, I just didn't like the way they were approaching it. And it's not that you don't have to be profitable and have those goals. I just found it distracting at that moment. And I wouldn't fill out any of the sheets. I just left it blank and I started working on operational goals, how to run my business to increase productivity and efficiency to understand who I really want to work with, to figure out, do I delegate? Do I automate? And the coach uh, who was running the organization actually called me out and argued with me in front of everybody that I needed to have revenue goals and you, you can't grow without setting your goals. And uh, I was probably about 30 years old at the time. So I had uh, way more attitude than tact. So I probably didn't respond as well in the, in the heat of the moment, but I told him, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. Um, I felt it was distracting at the time. And I thought if I'm really going to build something that's sustainable, something that's going to grow where I enjoy it, I'm taking care of my clients, I can't obsess over output. Profit has to be the fruit and not the goal. The goal is to build a profitable business. And in order to do that, I need to understand what do I want to do? Who do I want to serve? And then run the business in a way where it's profitable. If I can emphasize that and I'm doing what I'm meant to do, what I'm good at, what I love doing, the profit's going to take care of itself. And that was the switch I did many years ago. Yeah, it's it seems like the advisor of today is completely different of the advisor of 10 or 20 years ago. How you build, oh, yeah. how you build your business is different. Um, how you... Um, build your portfolios? Do you outsource your portfolios? Do you use robos? That's all changing as well. So how does advisor, how does an advisor find their way to the right model for them? I think it's going to be a process for every advisor. The challenge that you're going to have when you're trying to create your practice is that when I take the next step, things are going to change. And here's what I mean by that. So let's say I've been managing my portfolios for a period of time, and I know that it takes X percent of time to do that. Some surveys may say 10 to 15 percent of your time is based on, is built around managing portfolios or investments. If I shift that somewhere else and I outsource it, I may say, oh, well, look, I now have 10 to 15 percent of my time bought back. What can I do in that time? It's not that simple. If I'm going to outsource that aspect of my practice, not only have I bought myself some time, but I also bought myself some mental capacity because managing portfolios and analyzing investments, it's not easy. So it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. So who am I going to be a year from now after not doing that anymore? I don't really know. I'm going to have a little more capacity. I might see things a little bit differently. Whatever step I take, I can't necessarily tell you the outcome of what that's going to mean to myself or to my practice. So I really have to look a little more short-term when I do that. And that's going to be the challenge because we may say, what's our practice going to look at? I love the 10X your practice. It cracks me up. You want to know what 10X my practice is? I stick a zero on the end of my personal production. Do you know what that looks like? I don't. It's an enterprise. What would I be doing? 10, 20 employees on top of what we have? I have no idea. But the whole idea of what is it going to look like way down the road as I build that practice, it's just not that easy because things change after I make, after I make 
some big move in my business, but also new technologies and new opportunities come in. So I think the advisor shouldn't worry too much about five, 10 years down the road, but really look at where do I need to be going short term? How can I improve my practice? What's reasonable to do now where I don't think I'll regret it five or 10 years from now, or it looks like it could really build capacity down the road. Take the next step, figure out what you need to do, and I think you'll have a little more vision down the road. And one of those short-term things that they can focus on is how financial planning has changed, how it's gone from you retire and you need this money to retire to more of a life event-centered planning. And that's really interesting to me. Can we talk about that? I love the life event planning. One of my designations is certified financial transitionist. It's from Susan Bradley in the Financial Transitionist Institute, and it really focuses on helping people understand how to navigate life events. Um, personally, I could do a monologue on changes that have been in my life. I'll just give you a summary. My plans were almost irrelevant. Family changes, personal health changes. I've had challenges throughout my life that when they happen, it really changes what your plans were. And you can scrap the plan that you had for 20, 30 years down the road. And as you mature and you age, you find out that maybe my combination of events and circumstances may be unique. It doesn't make me special. Everybody has life changing on them. And when that happens, plans change. I just saw a recent television commercial from one of the big companies out there where their new campaign is, oh, so plans changed, we can work with that. Because people are figuring it out that this is life. It's wonderful to say, let's sit down and sit down and look at these plans. And I think the value of financial planning is it really helps you see what track you're on. It helps you understand what's valuable to you, but you also have to understand the limitations. I can only plan so much for 10 or 20 years down the road because I really don't know what's going to happen 10 days from now. And in order for us to be effective as financial planners and help people make decisions, it's not just let's assess where you are today and where do you want to go tomorrow and talk about goals-based financial planning. It's talking about what's going to happen when someone says, I'm going to retire next week. And then when they come in for an appointment, you find out that there's a health issue now that may risk the length of their life. And they're not sure what to do. And here they are wanting to talk about retirement planning. And you realize you know what, we don't really need to address a lot of these issues right now. Let's address health and take some time and make sure that you can make those decisions first. That's how life happens. And for the advisors to really be effective, they have to learn to understand the implications of life events, how, it, how people react and, and how you need to make changes. So I think it's Roger Whitney who does agile financial planning. I love that. It's the combination of financial planning, financial reacting, it's centered around life events, but also just life that isn't always expected. It happens, and you got to deal with it, and we're in a great position as financial planners to help people. How willing do you see advisors willing to evolve and make changes to their businesses, their practices, which they've been doing for so long, and here comes all these new ideas. Are they, are they for it? I guess it depends on the makeup of that advisor. Some advisors love whatever is new and engaging and how to help their clients. They love to have a unique value proposition. They love to do what the advisor down the street isn't doing. There's so many motivations that drive advisors to want to excel and to want to achieve. But it's work. It's extra effort. 
You have to study. You have to do things differently. Maybe you can't just sit with a legal pad in every appointment and talk about it. You have to figure out how to engage robos, how to talk about life events, how to have conversations that may have nothing to do with money. Not everybody's going to want to do it, Doug. And that's okay because that's part of the business. So I, I think that because we're a dynamic business, there are advisors out there who are just going to manage money. That's what they love to do. Great. Manage money. Be a portfolio manager. There's other ones that don't want to manage any money. They just want to do financial planning. And then there's going to be a group. It's emerging, but it's certainly more than a handful. And it's people like me. They love the people. They love helping people navigate life and figure out what's going on. They're going to dive into that area. They're going to try to build deeper relationships, improve capabilities, add new skills, and help out their clients in different ways. Will it be every planner out there? Of course not, because that's not how every planner's wired. And frankly, many of them, it's not a good fit for them. But for the ones who are out there and doing it, I think you're seeing that trend in the industry, and it's just going to continue to grow. Is the advisor population green? And if so, what transitions and consolidations and secessions are you seeing out there? You know, I, I remember years ago when I heard about the wave of financial planners that were going to retire because they were getting older and it was based on the average age. And then I ended up chuckling over time thinking, where are all these advisors who are retiring? I go to conferences and I'll sometimes be having conversations with people who are 70, 75 years old, and they're advisors, and they're loving it because this is a great business, and they love what they're doing. So I think part of it is many advisors enjoy what they're doing. It's fulfilling, and even though they're graying, it's really helping them understand the dynamics of retirement planning and longevity and helping clients and relate to them. So I think you're seeing them stay on a little bit longer but also, they're going to dive deeper into life because as you hit age 50 and age 60, you've lived life. You've seen life. It's going on. So it's going to motivate some people to do even more. So, yes, you're going to see advisors who want to stay in the business. But the challenge is there's so much that's involved in running a practice. You're going to look at some of those areas and say, can I offload some of this? And that's the consolidation. That's the the super OSJs and the hybrid RIAs and these different business models out there, whereas maybe 10 and 20 years ago, to give up our independence was, was heresy, terrified us. How, why on earth would I even consider that and place my clients and my future in the trust of an organization? It's a new world in 2020. There are so many different business models out there for advisors who want to continue to serve their clients maintain independence, own their book, or put in a succession plan when they want to sell it. But what it does is it allows them to offload certain aspects of their business by joining an organization, and then they can still continue to take care of their clients. So this trend that may look like consolidation that drives or leads towards succession planning, it actually helps the advisors stay in the business because it made life more enjoyable, it made life less stressful. They were able to offload some of the stuff. So while they may have planned to sell their practice, I do know some models out there, and I know the CEOs, the advisors are sticking around, and that's okay because the advisors love what they're doing because life got a little easier, and they still enjoy what they're doing. So I think that trend's going to continue, and how fast will some of these advisors retire? I don't know. I think as long as my brain's working and I'm loving what I'm doing and I'm excited on Monday morning, why would I go retire? This is an awesome business. Let's talk a little bit about Advisor 2X. 
why did you start it, when did you start it, and what is it? In the early 2000s, I began teaching retirement planning and employee benefits for the CFP program. And I had never taught professionally before, and, and I loved it. These were 30 people in the room learning retirement planning and employee benefits. They were pretty much all financial advisors who wanted to be financial planners. Had a great time doing that. It was just fulfilling to help out people who love this business and love helping people or trying to improve their skills. So after doing that, I realized teaching advisors, facilitating, helping advisors improve their skills was something that had a lot of value to me. So we launched the company. It's currently named Advisor 2X. It was back in 2010 where we held our first event, and it was meant to help advisors learn how to grow their practice and improve their business. Fast forward to today, we've done over 1,000 events across the country. Some are smaller, 25 to 50 people in a city. Other ones are larger, hundreds of people over multiple days. The commonality is all of the conferences and meetings and events that we do, the attendees are financial planners or financial advisors. Um, that's who we serve. So I do that alongside with my practice. I still maintain a practice. I still have my book. I love both of them. I'm not really sure. I was asked recently by a consultant if you have to give one up. Which one would you give up? And, you know, I just stared at him. Like, I'm not answering that. I love it. <laughs> Too much fun, and I don't have to give it up, and you can't make me because I'm an advisor. So you can't make me do that. I get to do what I like here. But it's really neat. The, there are so many advisors out there who just love what they're doing, and they love to get together and share ideas. And with Advisor 2X, yes, we do conferences. But what you'll see at our conferences is that more than half of these speakers are going to be producing financial advisors or home office people who work directly with financial advisors. So we've created a format where advisors can get together, share ideas. We'd love to talk shop. We'd love to hear what other advisors are doing. And we've been doing that since 2010 and we'll continue. It's a lot of fun. Where do you find the mindset or the permission to be successful to run two businesses, to grow two businesses and be successful? I think the challenge is you have to mentally go from me to we. And what I mean by that is, is as you're starting to grow businesses, and I've got two different ones here, and we also have a nonprofit that we run out of our building as well, you have to recognize that no matter how much involvement I may have in any of those entities, the success is not dependent upon me. The only way the businesses are going to grow and thrive is if people will join the organizations with me, do the things I can't do, and build it and grow it. And that means I can't micromanage. I can't tell people what I think is right or wrong all the time. They have to figure things out on their own. It's a scary thing in a startup or a young business when you're the founder or you're the investor or you're the one who's on the line financially, it's a scary thing to put that future into other people's hands and realize if it's going to be successful, it's because all of you are doing a great job. And if it's going to fail, it's because some of you didn't do a good enough job. I'm not in control. I'm not the one who's going to make it happen. That's a wonderful mindset to kind of delegate and trust people and hand off that responsibility. But it's challenging because it's scary as well, because you realize that you don't own the future. It is truly a team effort. But when you make that transition, 
It allows you to entrust people so they can learn, they can grow, they get better at what they're doing, they're invested in it, and they want to be a part of it. We've been fortunate with Advisor 2X where we, like most businesses, you occasionally have to let people go. Uh, but everybody who started working with the company, they're all still here today. And they're in the business or they're in the building with me right now. So when you give people that type of freedom where they can grow and you give them the opportunity to build it and put their own mark on it, the good people love that and they can grow it. And if you can do that, that gives yourself permission to include other people. So it's not really my permission to succeed. It's almost like I gave all of us permission to succeed because we're all at the table. We're all making decisions. We're all working hard and we're all figuring out how to make this thing work. What is the best way to find the we's? meaning great people? I have no idea. So I'll t- I will tell you what we do. Um, I have no involvement in the hiring process, so I can tell you I am the worst person when it comes to interviewing out there. I have this wonderful mindset, I think, is that I pretty much like everybody, but when you're trying to interview for a business, that's a really bad thing. Because everybody's great. Are you kidding? We'd love to have you on the team. You'll love it here. We're going to do great. It would be wonderful. You're going to fulfill your dreams and grow. Sounds great. So I don't get involved in that process. I will tell you what has worked for us. We've had interns from the university here. Um, University of North Carolina in Wilmington is a school nearby here. We've probably had 60 or 70 of them over the years. And when someone comes in and works as an intern, it's a wonderful opportunity to see who they are, what makes them tick, how they blend with the company. We've been really successful with having interns come and work here and then stay on. Um, and I want to kind of jokingly say it's almost like cheating because you got to see what the people were like and you got to see them interact with everybody. And it's wonderful. And you can't build an entire company on interns, but that's certainly one thing that we've done organizationally that I think has worked out really well. Um, the other part is, is you just have to put your culture out there. Let people know, here's what we do. Here's how we work. Be clear about what you do, why you do it, what your values are. Uh, we had someone that joined the company a year ago, and I offered everybody in the building to this person and said, just go on into their offices, ask them anything you want, and just go for it. And uh, the person kind of smiled and stared at me. Apparently, that's not normal. Um, but I thought it was great. If you're, if you're going to move cities, come here, and work with Advisor 2X, you have to know what you're getting into. It's either the place you have to be a part of because it's such a great fit, or it's just not going to be good. So I just said, you know, go for it. There was no agenda. I don't even think some of the people knew that this person was coming in to talk to them. So, yeah, probably should have done that part differently. But, uh, hey, <laughs> it's just how we roll but they have to know what they're getting into. And, and if you really have a, an environment that's going to be helpful to them, it'll help them grow and challenge them and something they want to be a part of, you should do well hiring good people. You have a conference coming up next month that we're going to be at. Um, what's it called? Where is it? How can people get there? The Retirement and Longevity Summit. The website is RL, as in Retirement Longevity, rlsummit.com. It's in New Orleans, third weekend of March. It's the second weekend of March Madness, and uh, that's intentional. I think that's a great way to end the day after you go through the conference. And we're going to have a couple of days of a lot of advisors talking about here's what we do because we hold ourselves out as retirement planners and say we do retirement planning, but is retirement really the goal? I'm pretty sure it's retirement and longevity. 
It's helping people through the stage of retirement, not just the event of retiring. And there's a lot of advisors out there who are doing the work to drive deeper into conversations and help their clients in more ways. And that's what we'll be doing at the conference. It's, uh, again, a couple days in New Orleans. We'd love to have people come out. Um, helping clients with their lives, helping advisors grow their business. You, you do a lot of helping. Um, what's really important to you as a person besides that? You know, I think we've got X amount of years that we're here on the earth. And the last thing I want is to be a shoulda, woulda, coulda person. I'll, I'll actually call out a buddy of mine here, Trey Dowdy. Um, who was an intern with me more than 20 years ago, and he's our, our CFO with Advisor2x. And a statement that he says regularly, um, I'm not sure if he says it to other people, but we're very close, he says it to me, so now I'm going to tell a lot of other people. Um, he says one of his biggest fears would be unfulfilled potential. And I thought that was a great way to shape life. Whatever you can do, whatever you should do, whatever impact you can make on the world, on your family, on the people around you, whatever potential you have, just fulfill it. Just do it. And I think that's great. And whether that means being the best parent you can be, being the best spouse you can be, being the best coworker you can be, what's the potential here to make a difference and to really help people's lives? Just fulfill it. Just go for it. And I think if uh, you focus on that, it's what drives me, and it uh, will probably help people look towards the future and really do good things. What a great way to end the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate you having me on, Doug. Thanks. For everyone at Iris Media Works and our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Permission to Succeed production team, this is Doug Heikinen. Have a good day. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.